0: In a world where people are dying of boredom, one man brings entertainment to the masses. Prepare yourself
1: as we enter the mind of Phantom Dark Dave.
0: What's up, everybody? You're listening to a brand new episode of the All Things Dave podcast, and I'm your host, Phantom Dark Dave. I got Andy back on the show, and we survived the holidays. What's up, man?
1: What's up, Dave? Yeah, man, the ho- holidays. Holidays. How do you say it?
0: You can say holidays yeah. if you like werewolves.
1: <laughs> yeah, or howling because you're sick, or you have to deal with family, or whatever.
0: Oof. Yeah, that's big reasons why it's been about a month since you and I put out an episode.
1: Oh, yeah. Sure and this this episode specifically i feel like this episode has been like years in the making man i mean i remember like the first time i saw you wearing a t-shirt for this movie and i was like what yeah (laughs) and uh i was like man i i thought i was the only homie that knew about that movie but i guess i was wrong
0: and he's like where can i get one of those shirts
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> half price books, man. Back in the day they used to sell the DVD t-shirt combos and uh I hunted it down specifically because it had a shirt in it. And so I had originally got that shirt without knowing the movie, but of course watched the movie and then loved it. But who would have known years after you and I being friends that that would come up in conversation and we're like, "Wait, we both love this movie?" And people should know, you know, this movie was directed by Bill Rubain, who may or may not be too famous with a lot of people, but who would have known that you and I would be big Bill Rabane fans?
1: Yeah, and I just recently kind of became a big fan of his, because uh, I was kind of doing some more obscure horror movies on my podcast, and kind of ran across a couple of his movies uh, that I went through, and just kind of you know took notice of him as a filmmaker, and I said, this guy's pretty cool. And so I, yeah, really becoming a fan of all his movies they have, have a certain feel to him or, you know, it's just, uh, they just, they're definitely like B movies, but they're just fun. Um, uh, he did a lot with what he had, you know, yeah, he didn't have any like big name actors really. I mean, you know, he, he got some cameos here and there and, uh, but he knew how to make a movie, you know, as far as the technical aspects and things like that. And, uh, and he really had a passion for filmmaking. You can tell when you see interviews with him and stuff. Like, he was, he was like, really a serious filmmaker, and he wanted to make, like, he even wanted to make Oscar-worthy movies, even though that may not
0: be how they came out. But, right. But, I mean, yeah, he, he the heart and soul was there, you know? So. Oh, for sure, dude. And, you know, the thing about his movies that I've noticed is I don't know if you would put them in a category of being so bad they're good, but they definitely fall under the category of they're entertaining. Like, there's never been a movie I've seen of his that I didn't thoroughly just enjoy watching
1: yeah yeah i mean there's some there's some limitations to his movies you know the the, some of the special effects are definitely dated um but you know outside of that i think just these are these are decent movies um and you know he used like people that he knew as actors so you (laughs) know maybe the acting is not like top notch or whatever but it's it's decent you know it's not bad
0: sounds like somebody else i know you know that he just got a whole bunch of his friends together and made a movie does that ring a bell
1: Yeah, you know, like John Carpenter did that.
0: (laughs) I was actually thinking about Jed Bryan, but yeah, there you go.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 Jed (laughs) Bryan, that too, yeah. (laughs)
0: That's because we weren't in the movie. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, the thing about Bill Rubanin is, like you said, you covered a couple of his movies on your podcast, you know, uh Andy, as you guys know, he's the host of the World of Horror podcast, and on his show, he covered the Demons of Ludlow and he covered the game, and he actually covered the movie that we're talking about today as a solo episode, and that's another reason why I wanted to give him a chance to converse with somebody uh, about the movie, and this will be my first time getting to talk about this movie. But as far as my references is I've seen this movie a handful of times, but the other movie of his that I absolutely love that I've seen a handful of times is the giant spider invasion. And I think that one might be uh, his biggest movie. Would you say that?
1: Yeah. That's his most commercial commercially successful movie. Yeah.
0: And the reason I discovered that movie is because I was prepping for our monster movie podcast.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because that movie came out before this movie. We're going to talk about today, but, uh, Mr. Bane actually considers this movie, his first real feature film. It's interesting. Like he kind of came at this movie with like a more serious approach. Like he wanted to make something more story driven, more character driven, uh, with this. And so like the, the, you know, this movie is, is really light on the special effects, except for there is one memorable scene, but he wasn't even going into it. Like having any special effects in mind. He was just wanting to put people in a situation and kind of play out how they would react and, and how they would interact with each, like the drama that would ensue for them, like interacting with each other. And so it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, coming away from the giant spider invasion and then going to a movie like this, which is funny enough, like, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, it was like a challenge for him, like to create a movie like this, um, a feature length film with just like a handful of people in a room. And the plot would really be just driven by the drama. Um, but he he really wanted to create more of a mainstream film with this one, uh, more of a dramatic piece. I would and, say it's
0: definitely that. There's a lot of drama in this, and I love a good character study, and I think that – I know Julie likes this movie because I made her watch it because I said you don't want to listen to this podcast and not you know know the movie we're talking about. And in case anybody you know doesn't want anything spoiled from them, this is the Alpha Incident. It's from 1978. It streams for free on Tubi. I think it's on Freevee, but it's definitely on, as of today it's on Tubi, and that's where I give it the occurring rear watch. Uh, some of us are like Andy, and we have it on Blu-ray. That's cool. I wish I did. Maybe one day. But uh, go ahead, dude.
1: Oh yeah. So. uh you know this movie, like I said, he he kind of he was actually after he put this movie out, he was actually uh, contacted by the Academy Awards and saying that it was eligible to be nominated, which is kind of cool. Wow! And Rabane actually wanted there he he wished that there would have been like a low budget Oscar category. You know, I think you know I think you know a lot of Oscar you know there are some independent movies that are nominated for Oscars and things like that, but I think back in the '70s when this was made that was less heard of you know and and i think you know the only reason that this really made it to the theaters was because of ralph meeker's name and i think you know early ralph meeker was a movie star from like you know i think he did some westerns or something and um so yeah anyway so this actually when it came out in the theaters it was actually the b movie to star wars when it came out
0: no kidding that's awesome yeah
1: yeah so that probably gave a little push to just That's kind of beer That's weird. Being Could you imagine
0: to going to the drive-in and seeing a double bill of Star Wars and Alpha Incident, like you take your children to see Star Wars. <laughs> children should even though this movie is rated like G or PG, uh kids should not really watch this movie.
1: No, it definitely deals with, you know, especially with, you know, Jack, you know, the one character. He <laughs> <He's> he, <awesome. laughs> he he plays kind of the oh uh, I don't know what you call him. He he's the player, I guess. Yeah, you know, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's some awesome fun facts, man. I appreciate you uh, dropping the knowledge because I had no idea that this would even be kind of a contender for Oscar worthy. I love hearing that because I think Bill Rabain needs to be recognized more than at least I'm aware that he is. But uh, hey, that's why we're doing this episode today. You know, put this movie out there, let people know about it who maybe don't know about it. And uh, I would say, you know, this is not a horror movie but it is a slow burn sci-fi thriller like it has some horrific elements to it but i would call it more of a sci-fi before a horror movie would you agree with that
1: oh yeah for sure i i I think this kind of falls in line with like movies such as the andromeda strain um trying to think what else
0: i'm gonna put you on the spot have you seen andromeda strain so I read the novel when I was like a teenager, but I'd never actually seen the movie. You need to watch the movie because these movies are so similar in certain aspects that I would love to have your opinion. Not necessarily on the oops, not necessarily on the podcast or anything, but I'm just curious if you ever watched the Andromeda Strain. I want to hear what you think about it, especially in comparison to the Alpha Incident. Because Andromeda Strain, I think it was in '71.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely. It's. I think it's been on our radar I, for whatever reason. I just haven't watched it um so yeah i definitely will check that out because yeah the I'm, I'm a big fan of this movie so i would probably like that one as well and i think that one has a higher budget and probably has some better oh, well, yeah i mean uh, it was directed by pieces. robert
0: wise so of course hollywood guy they're gonna give him a lot of money to work with this movie was filmed on a two hundred thousand dollar budget which i'd say for that kind of money I, I didn't bother to see how much that was like inflation-wise like relevance to today or whatever but i'm thinking two hundred thousand dollars in 1978 Man, it sounds a lot like another movie that we love, Halloween. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I mean, that was a you know that was a smaller budget, but for I th- I feel like for Bill Rabein that was probably like a bigger budget for maybe some of his other movies.
0: Yeah, and the cool thing about Bill Rabein is you know. I he had bought that piece of property up north where it's like the ranch where he filmed a lot of his movies. And I just think that's so cool to – as you said, he is so committed to filming his projects and his movies that he buys – basically creates his own studio.
1: Yeah, I think they built the – so like the scenes were like inside the train car. That was actually a set that they built. And the scene inside of the office, that was also like a scene that they built. Of course. Uh, so, that, so that was kind of cool to see. Um
0: well yeah you yeah. do that and you send and you just have a second unit director uh or you know probably him go out and film just exterior shots of other places and then piece it together because this movie takes place what, is it Wisconsin
1: Yeah yeah, yeah. Wisconsin
0: So um before we get too much into Describe them kind of in-depth about the movie. I just wanted to plug that, you know, it was written by Ingrid Meyer. I may be saying that wrong. Probably am. That person wrote this movie and The Capture of Bigfoot. And then we already mentioned about Bill Rubin's other movies. But the one that we didn't mention yet is one I've never seen, but I think the world is familiar with it because it's a horror movie called Blood Harvest, which features Tiny Tim. Yes, tiptoe through the tulips, that Tiny Tim. Google it if you don't know about it, but Andy, one day... I'm going to have to watch this movie. Have you seen Blood Harvest?
1: I have not watched this one yet, but yeah, we it's, it's to definitely, to yeah, I definitely want to watch it. And I, you know, just, I just want to hear the story about how he got tiny Tim to be in that movie. You know,
0: it's so ironic because tiny Tim was not known for being an actor, much less. I mean, if you look at the cover of the movie, he's painted up like a clown. And I mean, what more do you want? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, it's funny. if like Ruben did have a, a knack for, uh, kind of calling him favors because he he did have kind of a name in the in the movie industry because he actually trademarked some uh, techniques you know kind of filmmaking techniques that he made a lot of money off of he patented it so he had some connections in the film industry and that he definitely pulled those strings in this movie to getting ralph meeker and also uh, buck flowers into the movie love buck Flowers yeah and also uh jack uh the guy that played jack i can't remember his name right now but he was in the fog
0: yeah, John his Carpenter. name is
1: John F. Goff. Yeah, so that was cool to see that he was in the fog. So he's kind of went on to do some other things. But yeah, yeah, Bill you know, he just has an knack for pulling his talent for his movies, his low budget movies.
0: Yes, he does. Well, let's dive into the plot, man. I I wrote it down. It's short and sweet. You know, a microorganism from Mars is brought to Earth by a space probe and is transported across the country on a train. Unfortunately, the conductor opens the crate. And a group of people become infected and are forced to quarantine in a railroad office. And I'll say that after going through what the world has gone through over the last three years and really understanding the weight of being quarantined, this movie hit home probably harder than it ever could have.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, now that you mention it, yeah, it really makes me think about that because that didn't even cross my mind. But, yeah, the whole pandemic, everybody having to be quarantined and and just the – you know kind of not knowing what the effects are really going to be uh people just don't want to stay cooped up you know they won't can't, you know they want to get out you know but try but they don't really understand it's for their best interest to stay quarantined well, people and, get
0: cabin fever man you can't stay locked up all the time
1: yeah you know and, i
0: walk outside to take the trash out
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean you know and, and you know jack you know his you know his attitude about the whole situation. You know, he's,
0: oh, yeah, Jack only stays in one place if he's sleeping or banging a chick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Verbatim. him.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So, Andy, the cool thing about this movie is something you mentioned where you only got a handful of characters, and it takes place almost in one setting. So we have Dr. Sorensen, who's played by Stafford Morgan, and people might recognize him from a movie he did with Boris Karloff called Targets. I know... Um, Scott from Hellbent for Horror uh, said great things about that movie, Targets. It's actually hard to find. But um, Stafford Morgan was also in a movie called The Witch Who Came to Sea and The Capture of Bigfoot. And one from 1982 called The Forest. Have you seen The Forest?
1: Oh, I think I have a long time ago. It's like an it's kind of like a early 80s slasher movie if I can, if I remember right.
0: Yeah, that's why I asked you to. So, if anybody's listening to us for the first time, you know, Andy and I love a lot of kind of movies, but he is kind of my go-to if I ever have a question about an 80s slasher because there's a good chance he has seen it, at least what he's had access to, uh or he had it under his bed when he was a kid. But, you know, we have Hank played by George Buck Flowers and uh man, Obviously, it's not the first time you've seen George, right?
1: Oh, no. I mean, this might be one of his earlier movies, but uh, we we definitely know him from other more well-known movies.
0: (laughs) The crazy thing is I think this is the first time I've seen him for this long in a movie. Because usually George pops up in a small cameo, like a bit role. But in this one, he's one of the main players. And I got to say, I really enjoyed his performance.
1: Yeah, I mean he, he he played the role of Hank which he's just like this kind of lowly uh as a conduct not really a conductor but just he's the yeah, dude that's I'd in say. the caboose. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh you know just kind of a normal guy, you know, kind of not really minding his own, his own business unfortunately for everybody else involved in this movie, but <laughs>
0: he,
1: but you know he's cur- he's a curious guy, you know, and and you know Mr. Sorensen is is definitely kind of you know, Hank knows there's something out of the ordinary going on with this shipment. And so he's just kind of curious about what's going on. And, you know, Mr. Sorensen could have definitely been more, a little more secure with his uh, keys? keys and everything. Else. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you telling me when you sleep, Andy, you don't hold your keys in your hand?
1: I know. No, I, I definitely do not. That, that was just so crazy. Like, okay, it's supposed to be a, like a secure, like, uh, discreet shipment, like, kind of clandestine. They didn't want anybody to know about it. And,. <laughs> Sorensen was just kind of, uh, I don't know, he 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 kind of got on my nerves some, just with some of the things that he did.
0: Well, let's talk about George here. I want to tell you about some movies that he's been in and where he's come from, because I love deep diving into this stuff. You talked about how Bill Rubain has connections in the industry, and he got his friends together. Well, apparently a lot of his friends in this movie had done softcore porn, because I found some really fun titles in here where... George has played in a softcore porno called Mother Knows Best where he played the part of Boris Clitoris, which is a total cool band name if I've ever heard one. But um, he was alongside a female character named Candy Samples, which – (laughs) that's another cool name. But let's hear some of these other movies because this stuff had me rolling. Um, These are all softcore porns uh, mixed in, but there's Lash of Lust, Country Cousins, The Sex Prophet – Succula Definitely want to see that one. Orgy (laughs) American Style. Tower of Love. Guess who's coming this weekend? But then, I don't know what happened, but there was a change in his career, and he started acting in a lot of horror films. And so he was also in The Witch Who Came From the Sea. He was in Drive-In Massacre. He was in Killer's Delight. I actually have seen Killer's Delight. I own that movie. I love that movie. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that is a slasher from the 70s. But... It definitely has that like made-for-TV vibe, but it's, it's really good. I enjoyed it. He's also in The Capture of Bigfoot, so a lot of these actors are sticking together. He was in The Night Stalker. He was in the famous Maniac Cop, which everybody loves Maniac Cop. He was in Pumpkinhead. Andy, one day we will be doing Pumpkinhead. He was in Dead Men Don't Die, Puppet Master 2, Blood Games, 976 Evil 2, Camp Fear, Waxwork 2, Body Bags, Skeeter... Village of the Damned, Wishmaster, Bloodsuckers, The Curse of Komodo. I could go on and on, but my dude, he has definitely established himself as a horror icon at this point. But like you said, he was in some John Carpenter movies. You know, he was in The Fog, which I don't know if you know that his character name was Tommy Wallace in that movie. Oh, was it? <laughs> That's a great shout out. He was in Escape yeah. from New York, They Live, Starman, uh, Body Bags, and then Village of the Damned. And man, I you know, every time I see him, I don't know what it is, but it puts a smile on my face.
1: Oh, yeah, because he always kind of plays the same kind of character. You know, he's just kind of a bumbling, you know, guy, you know, whether he's like a homeless guy or, uh, you know, some other like kind a of worker. gas or station
0: clerk or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, you just, yeah, like it brings a smile to your face because, you know, he's going to play a certain type of character.
0: That's true. And I would say most people out there will recognize him as being the bum in Back to the Future.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Straight,
0: straight, pedestrian, you know, at the end of the movie. now through this research i did find out something that was really cool and i know it doesn't scream at you but it screams at me he appeared in power rangers in space power rangers light speed rescue and power rangers time force so all my ranger fans out there that is awesome so you can say he's literally done everything from softcore porn to power rangers
1: wow yeah quite a resume
0: He's probably done a Power Ranger. Who knows?
1: Um, all right. <laughs>
0: we'll go ahead and we'll run through some characters here, and then we'll deep dive into some of our favorite parts. So we got Jack, as you mentioned. Uh, he's kind of the – you can call him the asshole in this, male chauvinistic pig, but he's uh, he's a great character. is played by John F. Goff, and he was in a lot of the movies that Buck Flowers was in, you know the softcore stuff, the B-horror stuff, but he appeared in Nurse Sherry in 1977, and he was in The Fog and They Live, but Andy, he was in Alligator from 1980. Do you remember that? Yeah, apparently. We had to go back and rewatch that. Uh, Fun fact, Alligator from 1980 was the very first 80s horror movie that Andy and I reviewed back on Dave's Pop Culture Podcast in 2018. It's crazy how fast time flies.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally, I mean, I didn't forget about it, but yeah, no, that brings back some good memories.
0: It does, I wish I still had that episode. Uh, For any future podcasters out there, anybody thinking about starting your own podcast, back up your shit, because just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it'll be there forever, (laughs) trust me. But uh, he was also in Grotesque from 1988 that has Linda Blair, which is cool, and I just found out that he was in an episode of Power Rangers Lost Galaxy, so two of these people went on to be in Power Rangers, Andy. I think there's something with the horror community in Power Rangers that's tied together. All right, yeah. One thing that blew me away is the character of Jenny. I love the character of Ginny. She's played by Carol Irene Newell. She really didn't do much. I mean, she was in a couple of TV show appearances and did like one made-for-TV movie. Kind of shocking.
1: Yeah, so the story behind her was uh, Bill Rubin actually wanted to bring in like, a, like kind of a blonde bombshell type woman, you know, sure. uh, for this role and his wife and uh, I think the writer... They kind of discouraged and said, "No, you need you need to have more of like the girl next door type of girl in this role." And and I think she did great. You know, she she uh, the acting was really good. I thought, um, you know, she added a lot of uh, you know just the uh, emotion that she had as as Jenny. I think was great. Um, you know, you really cared about her whenever you know things happened to the character. Um, and she just like. The character is gets definitely uh, on a like an emotional roller coaster throughout this movie.
0: Oh, for sure. And that's something I, I think I love the most about this movie is you know, when you have a movie that only has a couple of people in it, their performance is very important. And I think everybody carries their weight so well. There's not one character in this movie that I necessarily dislike. Like some characters are, are more likable than others, but as far as the acting goes, I thought everybody brought their A game and this is a movie that I could watch a lot
1: oh yeah for sure
0: let's talk about ralph meeker for a second he played charlie and um you know i could go down this laundry list of of things that he's done but i don't watch westerns and so a lot of this stuff didn't like jump out to me necessarily but i am curious because he is in a movie from 1980 i wonder if you've seen it it's called without warning
1: oh yeah i have seen that one i've seen that poster
0: um his character's name is dave so that's pretty cool
1: Huh, yeah i don't really remember him in the movie i remember a young david Crush. i remember jack plants uh oh there's another guy can't his name escapes me right now but yeah that was, that was kind of a cool movie kevin peter hall plays the alien so he's a tall you know oh yeah. you know the alien's gonna, yeah, gonna be good a tall player. dude nice. yeah yeah so that's that's a good one uh I remember, yeah, that's that's a good uh, 80s kind of creature feature.
0: Yeah, I always remembered the poster for it, but I've never seen the movie. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, we got two more characters I want to bring up here, and that's kind of our two less-seen characters, but they have vital roles, and it's the two doctors that are kind of spliced in throughout the film. And we'll get into, like I said, a plot a little bit here in a minute, but we have Dr. Farrell, who's played by Paul Benson, who has not done a lot of stuff. He did appear in three of Bill Rubin movies, which is really cool, you know, he was in the Devonsville Terror, which was directed by Yuli Lamel, who, who did you know Boogeyman. And then uh Witch's Night. And that's about it. But the other guy, Dr. Rogers, played by John Alderman. My goodness, has this man done a lot of stuff? Andy, he also participated in some of these interesting softcore films. There's one called Dar She Blows. I'm kind of intrigued. <laughs> what does she blow? Uh, she's in or he's in Love Camp 7, Hot Spur, Starlit. Trader Horny, divorce Las Vegas style. Lisa's folly. Dandy. The erotic adventures of Zorro. I knew he was that way. Saddle Tramp. Woman. The dirty dolls. and the boob tube. But much like uh, our buddy earlier, he did go on to do some non sleazy films and appeared in some TV shows like Gunsmoke, Pork Chop Hill, which I know is is a war movie people love. Wagon Train, which. Star Trek, Wagon Train in Space. There's a connection. But he was in Wanted, Dead or Alive, pretty much a Western show that I wake up to every morning because it comes on. Because when I go to bed, my TV is usually on H&I. They play Star Trek all night. And so when I get up in the morning turn the TV on, my TV always goes back to the last channel, and it's H&I, and they play Westerns all morning. So I always see like Steve McQueen in Wanted, Dead or Alive. It's funny. But he was in The Thrill of It All, The Lieutenant, Escape from Planet of the Apes, the Screaming Woman, which sounds like it could be a porno, but it's not. Crypt of the Living Dead, Starsky and Hutch, Cannonball, Charlie's Angels, Quincy M.E., New Year's Evil, Superstition, and Kung Fu the Movie. And so for a guy who's barely in this movie, he's got a lot to his name.
1: Yeah, I definitely recognize the one of the scientists as a guy that's been in other Bill Urbane movies. Um, I think... Uh, the demons of Ludlow is what I kind of remember him from specifically, but uh, I wanted to back up to without warning. It's not. I said David Crush That's not the right person at all. It's David Caruso. Okay. <laughs> not the cult leader, but the guy that was in NYPD Blue. <laughs> you know, the the redheaded guy. Right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to so yeah, Good So there's direction. no confusion there. But yeah, as far as these scientists go, yeah, I did. I did definitely recognize the one guy uh, from some uh, from that other Bill Rubin movie.
0: Yeah, and I still have yet to see the ones that you covered on your podcast. I listened to your podcast, and you made me want to watch them, but i got to find the time to squeeze them in. And so in between our episodes, I'll have to do that because, you know, once a Bill Rabain fan, always a Bill Rubin fan. But, my dude, let's go ahead and dive into this movie. It's so cool. So throughout the beginning, you know, we have the two scientists, and they've made this discovery that— We don't know what this is except for what we've read in the plot or maybe saw in the trailer, which this movie has a horrible trailer, by the way. If anybody sees the two- or three-minute trailer, check it out. You'll be like, what the fuck? Uh, If you can find the one-minute, it's a modern trailer. Much better. But at the end of the day, we got two scientists who know this is a deadly organism— and they're wondering what they can do about it, and we find out not much because they've already shipped it off on a train, and it's going to Colorado. So, what'd you think of the beginning and the opening of this movie?
1: Yeah, it was a little—I uh, don't know—it was a little—I uh, don't know if—I don't know if confusing is the right word, but it was just, I was a little like unsure what was going on because I kind of felt like we got kind of dropped down in the middle of the story almost because you know we're kind of like. Uh, you know we're just we get right into it with these two scientists they're kind of talking about uh, something that they're studying um, that it's something that dropped you know dropped down so obviously something from outer space that they that they retrieve from like us you know a, a rocket or something that came back from mars and uh, so there's this space probe yeah <laughs> and so we know it's something that and it's some kind of bacteria and they are uh, you know they've they've they're studying it with, like, mice, like, laboratory mice, just to kind of see what it's doing. And then that's when they – that's whenever the other one says, well, they're transporting it to a base in Colorado. And, like, why are they doing that? Because they just don't want people to know about it, I guess. And I think that if people find out that there's some kind of Martian bacteria that they're going to – bacteria from – sorry, a bacteria from Mars that people are going to, like, freak out or whatever. So they're trying to kind of keep it more top secret. Um but yeah, they really have no idea what they're dealing with at this point in the movie. They're just kind of like uh, It's government cover-up,
0: to... man. It's propaganda, and so exactly, you know, yeah. Th- this is proof that there's life on Mars because it's a microorganism, right? It's always moving, it's breathing, you know. It's and so they don't know how to treat it. They send it away and. You know, we find out it's by train, and then it cuts over, and we're on the train, and that's where we meet two of our big characters, Doctor Sorensen and Hank. And then, as you mentioned, you know, Hank is pretty much—he's the engineer, he's the conductor, and then Doctor Sorensen—we only know him as Mister Sorensen because he is pretending to be a conductor, but Hank has his suspicions.
1: Oh yeah, Hank knows right off the bat that something's off, and uh, he's like, "You're no normal. You're no. You're not a conductor because you keep going back and checking the." the cargo so that tips hank off there's something special with this cargo and so hank's asking is it money you know is it something really valuable and Sorensen's having to kind of be kind of vague no it's not or or no he he does say yeah that's what it is hank or something like that he yeah he kind of just gives into hank so yeah that's what it is and uh but (laughs) hank just can't let it go he keeps on asking about it and then uh so mr Sorensen falls asleep and he happens to drop his keys. For some reason, he's holding him while he falls asleep. and He
0: was in the uh,
1: Yeah, and so that's when Hank gets a hold of the keys and goes back to see for himself what what's back there. And, you know, of course, Hank is kind of... Uh, he's
0: just a good was, old boy. He doesn't mean no harm, but he's a nosy feller.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of clumsy, you know. And, yeah. and you know, of course, with the train kind of... As it's going down the track, it kind of... There's a lot of movement going on there, and he just has a little accident and just breaks the vials. And... Yeah, that's what sets everything off.
0: Yeah, and it's funny how he says to Mr. Sorensen, he tells him, he goes, "Yeah, you ain't no conductor because you keep going back there to check." And any good conductor knows if it's there in the beginning, it's going to be there in the end. And exactly. Sorensen <laughs> says he's getting like motion sickness, and he's like, "Yeah." And conductors don't get motion sickness either. Oh, by the way, be careful rolling over because uh, I see that loaded gun that you have.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Hank, he zeroed in on that loaded gun too, yeah.
0: But but Hank's cool, man. Like, it doesn't bother him. He just wants to know what's in the crate, and he finds out the hard way. But, you know, we've heard a few times they've split back and forth with the scientists of kind of where we're going, and they're talking about that the train is going to stop at Moose Point, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our movies. When we get to Moose Point, it's a place where – Another train is going to come and pick up all the train cars except for this one and the caboose. Like these two are going to stay here. And that's very rare because usually a train comes and when it derails, you know, it, it takes all of the train. And so we get to meet another one of our characters. We talked about Jack. Jack works for the rail yard and we see him. He's cruising down the railway And he's in this little train car thing. It's pretty cool. I definitely want to drive one if I can. But he's like, yeah, you know, I checked it. It's all lined up. It's going to go the right way. And, you know, we get to meet Jenny. She shows up uh, late to the train station. And, you know, she just does the paperwork. But she's going to have an early day. But Jack has the hots for her. And we get to see um, Charlie. And Charlie is, I guess he's kind of like the main guy, the boss there. He, you know, handles the phone and I, you know, she does the paperwork, but he—I guess—he has the final say over how things get done around there. But what happens is, you know, they go there and they drop off these train cars, and they're waiting for the other train to come. And you know, Hank has cut his hand, and so he goes inside. And Andy Jenny sees it, and she wants to doctor it up for him.
1: Yeah, and so and in the course of this, you know, we we understand that. Yeah, you know, we hear the the scientists talk about this organism. We know that it it's not airborne, uh, it's not bloodborne, but it's actually come it's actually transmitted through contact. Right. And of course Hank goes to and he ruffles Charlie's hair and he and uh Jenny, you know, nurses his hand, kinda bandages up so she has contact with him. And then I think Jack They
0: shake hands.
1: He, they shake hands, yeah. Yep. And uh, and we're not sure about Sorensen if he's had contact with with Hank, you know, or whatever, you know, because they were on the train together and stuff like that. Like, so, obviously
0: they have, we just haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, so, and but then Sorensen sees Hank's hand and sees his bandage, he's like, well, what happened? And and that's when Hank's like, well, oh, it's just, it's nothing, you know. And Sorensen, he kind of... Jenny rats
0: him out, man. Jenny's like, he cut it on some glass.
1: Yeah, so then Sorensen gets really worried, and he goes back to the train car and checks, and sure enough, the vial's broken, and... And so he has to call back to HQ and tell what happened. you see the look on happened? his
0: face, like that oh shit meter?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like I said, yeah, he gets on the phone, and man, when he makes that phone call, yeah, he is definitely not a conductor. Like everybody turns their head and look at him because he's like Alpha Omega Zero Three. Like, you know, he's talking in code, and that's when it's revealed uh, what's going on and that he works for the government.
1: Yeah, and everybody there kind of knows. Okay, something's odd. This guy's like a government guy or something. He's not. He's not like a normal person that we would normally have an interaction with. Even you know, Jack even says that after listening to his phone conversation. Jack wants to know, okay, what's going on? Why are Why are you here? And and uh, and I think you know, because after, uh, Sorensen makes his phone call, it's pretty apparent that they have to go into quarantine. Right, and so. Uh, Sorensen asked for Charlie's keys. He's asked, well, whose car is that out there? And Charlie's like, well, it's mine. And I thought that Jenny drove up in the car, but maybe she didn't. I don't That's know. That's
0: what Julie said. Julie was like, what about her car? But I don't yeah. remember because, you know, whenever Charlie got there, he you know pulled up in his car and then another dude came out and left in his car. I don't remember seeing yeah. another car. So for all we know, she got dropped off. But if she's having a short day, you know, obviously she was going to leave.
1: Yeah, because she so. going to be up with uh, Mysterious Tom, you know. Oh, and
0: yeah, Tom. We know Tom. So,
1: so uh, but yeah, so Sorensen asked for Charlie's keys, and that's when Jack really starts getting defensive and on alert, like, what's going on here? Why? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he tells Charlie, hey, don't give him your keys. And so Sorensen has to deal with Jack, you know, because Jack is just not – Jack wants to know what's going on, and he's not going to yeah, take – Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah, exactly. And – 'Cause none of them know what's going on. Sorenson is just all of a sudden he's making this phone call, this mysterious phone call, and he's kinda like telling everybody like to stay put, that they can't go anywhere. And so yeah, everybody's kind of on alert now. Well, what what's what's going on? What yeah, you know, and and so right. I so think he can't he yeah. can't
0: spill the beans because he doesn't have all the details because he's like periodically through this movie waiting for uh, phone calls from the government. And I love whenever he admits that he works for the government. Like he talks about, he's a biochemist and Jack is like, what is a biochemist doing at Moose Point?
1: Exactly. And, and, and I, and I feel bad for Sorensen because he really has no more information than the people there do really. Cause they right. don't have any idea what this organism is capable of up to this point. Uh, I mean, the scientists do find out, you know, here in a little while, what happens uh, in certain situations, but yeah, Sorensen has really no answers to give them. He's not—he can't tell them too much, but also not just because it's top secret, but because he, doesn't he just doesn't have any information to How give about them.
0: Jack's reaction when he finds out because he's like, "Oh, the government—that's great. I got out here to get away from the government."
1: Exactly. He's kind of <laughs> one of these guys that just wants to be off on his own and yeah. just—he do, he doesn't want to be told what to do. You can tell, you know, right off the bat, he actually tries to leave. Uh, you know, he says, "You know, screw this. I don't—I don't care about your." Yeah, and Sorensen's kind of, I don't know, he's not really, like, uh, authoritarian. You know, he's kind of, sure. like,
0: Well, he's not, a biochemist, dude.
1: Yeah, he's not... Yeah, he, he's not built for, like, trying to enforce the law, really.
0: Right.
1: Uh, He does have a gun, but that's about the extent of his enforcement. Well, yeah, but we see him use it. He, he does. We're not sure if he's going to use it, because he's kind of seems kind of hesitant, and Jack's like, screw this, I'm going to leave, and so he... Yeah. Gets in his little train car. and He calls and, his
0: bluff, but...
1: <laughs> Sorcerer shoots him in the arm. Right
0: in the fucking arm, man. And <laughs> the view, like, did you notice that camera angle? It looks like he killed him because, like, Jack, like, falls over when he gets yeah. shot. But then luckily, I'll tell you, you know, I've never been shot before, and I hope I never will be. But, man, you know, he gets shot in the arm. He never doctors that thing for the rest of the movie. He just handles it.
1: Yeah, he just has that bloody you know spot on his sleeve yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the movie. I'm like,
0: I'm not sure that's how that goes. You can get that yeah. looked at. You know, Jenny never offered to help him though either. Uh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I'm not touching that man uh, right now. Anyway, but you know, you think that that would be enough to tell these people, okay, he means business. But unfortunately, I think the nerves and the fears are getting the best um, of Hank because poor Buck Flowers, man, whenever sorensen gets distracted with all these phone calls he also makes a run for it
1: yeah you could just tell that that hank he's just he's a little squirrely he's he's not going to stick around he's he takes off and of course sorensen has to go chase after him but he he but hank you know he he can kind of like slide under the train car and get away and and unfortunately sorensen has to resort to the only thing he has left is his gun and yeah, because
0: Hank, he gets so far away that, that, you know, he's not stopping when he's yelling at him. And I got to be honest, I didn't think he was going to be able to hit him, bro, like from far away because he's a biochemist. You know, I, I don't know him as a sharpshooter, but he lays into Hank and shoots him right in his leg.
1: Yeah, shoots him in the leg. And so so Hank's not going too far with that injury, but he's he doesn't come back to the train station. He just keeps trying to get away. And then yeah, he,
0: he notifies uh, next time on the phone call because you know he had set the phone down and chases Hank, and when he comes back, he's able to let them know that okay, Hank got away, but I shot him. And then, then that's when we realize that okay, these folks are quarantined; they're going to stay quarantined. The government, um, I think, the National Guard is mentioned, is going to come out there and handle it. And they say that you know, shoot to kill if anybody tries to make a run for it, but leave the body wherever it falls.
1: Exactly. Him. So I mean, so they basically just cordon off the area. The, the the National Guard doesn't really go to the train station. They just kind of set up a perimeter around the area, uh, so nobody else can leave. Basically, or if that Hank tries to leave, they can they can. Uh, and yeah. and it's really you know it, it, you feel bad for Hank. You well you feel bad for everybody in this situation because.
0: But Hank is so likable that it really tugs on yeah. the heartstrings because the scene where, you know, he gets hit in the leg, he basically crawls to the forest, and it's dark time, and you literally hear him crying out for his life. He's yeah. He's for his life, and you just feel bad.
1: Yeah, he's, he's saying, like, mama, mama, you know, and yeah. all this. It's like, so it's wow. His mama, man. And I think later on we hear, like. I wanted hear, his like,
0: mama, too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Later on, we hear, like, I think a scream from the woods, you know, and
0: And we don't know why, but they're like, oh, it's an animal. And I think Charlie's like, that was no animal. And we know it was Hank and oh, it just hurts. But, you know, up until this point, we did have a scene and it's not necessarily clear as day what's happened, but we find out that there was a third scientist that's involved in everything and he's testing this chemical reactions with lab rats and we actually see something happen to one of the rats when you saw that scene was it clear to you like after you've seen the movie you know what happens then it's very clear but like going into this movie and you see the result it has with the rat was it obvious to you what had happened
1: not exactly i mean i would, i was like does head just explode what happened Yeah, because you, know, right. you like, just kind of the way they and... there's some some gooey bits by its head it's like <laughs> yeah uh which I I'm supposed I think it's supposed to be a brain matter, right?
0: That's what it looked like, yeah. And I mean, it's yeah. like a you know, you blink and you miss it. It's a two second scene, but probably because they could only get that rat down for a second.
1: Yeah, yeah, Assuming hopefully, it
0: death. yeah, yeah. But I mean, that was another oh shit thing. Like we don't know what causes this, and dis- at this moment, the scientists don't know either. But we know it can result in eventually death
1: yeah well i think that it was like an overnight thing because they they left the rats that they they went to go that's get
0: right.
1: take a nap and they assumed that the rats were gonna sleep and like in the morning they come and find the rat
0: that's right because they the, come in the room and turn the lights on and they're making jokes about the one rat being like testing well like through the mazes and he's like oh yeah i always prefer the smart type and then that's when they see that the uh, rat is dead and uh who knows how but you know, maybe we're gonna find out. But as we progress through this, the tension's getting crazier and crazier. And then Doctor Sorensen's getting a, like a step at a time uh, of information over how to handle the situation. And it really sucks because not only is it like you can't leave, we find out you can't go to sleep either.
1: Yeah, this kind of reminds us reminds us of uh
0: the last another movie, movie we did on this podcast. How weird. <laughs> yeah, I told yeah. Julie that too. I was just like, how are we going to go from doing a Nightmare on Elm Street to this and they both have the same theme, whatever you do, don't fall asleep.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because yeah, so not only do the people have to stay put, they're like quarantine, now they can't go to sleep. And then they don't know how long they're going to be in, under quarantine, and then they find out they have to they can't go to sleep and so Right. That so that just kind of ratchets up the situation and and you know and Sorenson is able to put in some demands. Hey, you know, send us some food. Uh, and also, how about, since we
0: how about Jack, man? Yeah, give me a couple of burgers, you know, steak and a baked potato. But you know, a burger and fries will do in a pinch.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, you know not not afraid to uh, ask for what he really wants. But uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> or take what he really wants.
1: Yeah, but I mean. Yeah. And you mentioned Charlie. Charlie's just funny because he just kind of sits there and is like, yep, yep. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't really say much, but then Jack kind of starts, you know, giving him a hard time and like, and just really starts trying to get, uh, Charlie to kind of come out of his shell a little bit. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, Jack is trying to make the best of the situation. And yes, he is an asshole and he's misogynistic and all these things here. He wants to have Ginny, but she doesn't want nothing to do with him. She's saving herself for Tom. That's why we made jokes about Tom's because we never meet Tom. We just hear this sucks because now she's quarantined, but she had a date with Tom. And like you said, she's the girl next door. So Tom is somebody from the town or whatever. But, you know, the thing with Jack is he comes off in such a rough manner but then there are certain situations where you see his humanity side and i don't know man he's not necessarily that much of a bad guy i think he's making poor decisions about things but he really is friends with these people you know
1: oh yeah you can tell that he has a rapport with like charlie and jenny and and even hank too i mean his relationship with
0: hank was extremely uh authentic
1: yeah yeah yeah, so I mean he's just he's kind of like a blue collar, kind of rough around the edges kind of yeah. guy. Um so all these people, but this a kind of an interesting mix of people. You got him, you got Jenny which is kind of a stuff, you know, nice girl next door. Um you know, kind of young. Uh, she's got maybe, that ambition
0: that one day she's going to leave this town kind of vibe.
1: Yeah. And then Charlie, you know, he's just been there forever, you know, he's <laughs> going to one Dave. of these days yeah, one of these days he might retire you know but he's just one of these old guys that's been the, probably been with the railroad for like 30 years and uh <laughs> and it's funny just some of the things that come out with with Charlie later on in the movie you know
0: <laughs> Well and Andy you know this is 1978 there's not a shit ton of things to do stuck in this railroad station And Moose Point it's is not like this is you know Los Angeles or you know some big conductor yard like you could tell this place barely sees anyone, and there's nothing to like. I didn't see a damn Coke machine, a cafeteria, there's nothing here. So they get um, the government to come in a helicopter and drop some supplies every now and then. And unfortunately, Jack is disappointed because he didn't get steak and he didn't get burgers, but it was almost like, um, like astronaut food, you know what I mean? It was like yeah. reserves.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's so like they. Jack was like, they sent us the wrong thing we're not in outer space or something like that, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Because,
1: yeah, sent them like this freeze-dried, like almost like MREs or something like that, probably. It's but, uh, and then, they also, they also gave some amphetamines too. <laughs>
0: Keep you awake. Yeah. Man, saw that, that was kind of interesting. Monsters.
1: Yeah, exactly, okay, yeah. I
0: know that wasn't a thing, but I'd have been okay, I'm just saying. Yeah, and we do
1: see, you know, Jack tries to make this, This it's funny, like, you know, so you got these people that kind of, Know each other, and then you got Sorensen kind of just throwing them there in the mix, and he's kind of the outsider, right. and he's already shot a couple of them, you know. <laughs> right. So he's really not on their good side, you know. But he's trying to enforce the quarantine, he's kind of just stuck in the situation along with the rest of them. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic um, because as time goes on, you know, you kind of see like r- the dynamics kind of shift, you know, between Jenny and, and Jack and Sorensen and, and, uh,
0: it's you pretty know obvious, that, Andy, that Jenny has the eyes for Doctor Sorensen.
1: Exactly. Yeah, she does. And and Sorensen's weird. Like he's he just doesn't want to have anything to do with her. Like he's just like, nope, I don't think so. Like, she, like Jack finds a radio, and of course, he's just trying to liven things up, trying to make the best of a bad situation. So he turns on the radio, finds some some you know cool music you know, from back in the day or whatever. And so he wants to dance, and uh, Jenny wants to ask Doctor Swartson to dance, and he's like, "Nope, I don't think so. I'll just sit here and smoke this cigarette, but I'm not going to get up and dance and have any kind of fun." And so or you know, physical Jenny, contact. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think he's kind of leery about that. And but
0: uh, well, then you and know, then, Jack. Not only does he find a radio, he finds a big bottle of booze that Hank had on the train. So oh, now they're going to drink yeah. and dance. <laughs>
1: And take the amphetamine. I mean, it sounds
0: like a Friday (laughs) night, am I right? (laughs) But it's cool because, you know, they find a deck of cards and, you know, for the longest time, this is – this is like a feel-good moment of the movie that goes for a little while, and you you really start to enjoy the interaction of this uh, group of people because you know yeah everybody is kind of the same because they're from the small town or whatever, but then you see kind of the individual uh, natures of the the people, and I don't know I just really enjoyed the middle of this movie maybe the most.
1: Yeah, because you know with the characters we do have some realistic. Uh, traits for them so that gives us some character depth for each person so i like that and so i, I really see what rebane was kind of going for with this movie um so you know we really start to care about these characters so when thing when things kind of start ramping up we really uh kind of feel that we, we kind of feel for the characters and care about what happens to them which i think is kind of the goal of most movies is that you care about what, what happens to the characters
0: yeah, and speaking of what happens to them, since Dr. Sorensen doesn't want anything to do with Jenny, he, I think Andy, he tells her, like, won't you go dance with Jack? He, he's here right now. And so she's like, all right, if that's the way you want it. And I remember at first thinking, what? Like, I don't think she likes Jack. But I think at this point, I don't know if they're wondering if they're not going to get a chance to be with anybody else. But I think, like, a lot of this stuff is settling in. And she's kind of given in to Jack's sweet side because he, you know, he he has that side of him that he is the kind of guy that has one night stands and never calls her back type vibe. But he's kind of crushing on Jenny and says that he's wanted her for a really long time. And she goes and there's a scene where she goes in the bathroom and changes clothes and she gets all dressed up for an evening. And it's like... Her outfit's a little more revealing than it was before. She goes from secretary to, like, evening gown type thing. And this, of course, is, like, getting the attention of Jack. And he tells her, like, hey, let's um, let's go somewhere. Let's go hang out, you know, in the car. And I was like, surely this is not going to happen. Like, sorenstein has got a, this thing roped up pretty tight. But Jack isn't going to take no for an answer. He's like, we're going to go for him a walk. We'll be back. And it, I don't remember what he says, but it's on the vein of feel like it, suck it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, so he says, hey, we're going to go for a walk. And Sorensen's like, I think you guys have uh, exor- have had enough exercise or something like that because they were dancing earlier. Right. And and then so Jack, they proceed to walk out. And Jack says, stick it, you know, as he there walks out the door. And Sorensen kind of like makes like he's going to get up to try. But then he just kind of sits there. He's like, well, maybe he's thinking, well, what can I really do? I don't know. And it's not like they can go anywhere because right. the, the whole area is cordoned off. But, yeah. Yeah, How about really Charlie's know Charlie's
0: reaction. He's like always watching from behind his glasses, like they're slid down his nose, but he's always like yeah. paying attention to everything that goes on. And I, I mean, he seemed kinda interested in what they were doing.
1: Yeah, Charlie does follow him out to the train.
0: <laughs> Charlie's like, I uh I need some air too. And then he goes to spy on Jack, which is really
1: yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah, he kinda goes to spy on the couple and, and it's interesting the little interaction they had like Jack and Jenny has on the train at first because, you know, they start talking. And uh, Jack kind of calls Jenny out says, there's really no Tom, is there? And it's kind of a surprise for the audience. Like, wait, what? And she smacks – she slaps yeah. him because I guess it's true. And But it seems like a weird thing. Why would she, like, leave her leave work early and say she's going to meet this Tom guy? I don't know. Like, like, just to make people think that she has a social life? Or That's I, what I don't really understand. That's what I
0: was really getting understand. out of it is that, you know, she really didn't have plans, but maybe she – You know, sometimes people do that. Like, they want people to be jealous of them. You know what I mean? Like, they'll pretend to have somebody just so it it rubs you the wrong way or whatever.
1: Yeah, so, like, Jenny slaps him and she leaves the train car. You think, well, that's it. But then... She kind
0: of scares back, the shit so. out of Charlie, right? Because he's hiding right. Oh, right. <laughs> he, yeah. He's pressed against the train car door, and she comes out, and he he has that oh shit! Like he's like squeezing back so he doesn't get seen. He's hiding <laughs> in the shadow, and it's like Charlie. Yeah. He's about to get caught, but um, she goes back in.
1: She goes back in, and um,
0: it happens. At and she, shock, she, I, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think I think it's one of those things where she just feels like, what other choice do I have in the situation, or, or or she she maybe it's like. A way for her to feel some kind of comfort, maybe like
0: I think so too. Like um humane, but also you got Jenny has the depressing character in this because I think she kinda realizes that she's settling for Jack because she probably can't do better, which is bullshit, but that's the person that she is in this movie.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean she's feeling kinda like uh scared of the situation, and I think Jack is very confident, very you know, self self assured, and so he is kind of that rock that she's looking for. You know, right. Even yeah, right. So
0: I'm just laughing because I just that quote that I said earlier is verbatim in the movie, and he's like, "I never stay in this place for this long unless I'm banging a chick." I'm like, "Oh my god, this guy!"
1: Yeah, that's that's the kind of guy he is. But you but know, you know that's,
0: um, he just banged this chick, and he wasn't in that car very long, Andy. No, he's kind of one of those minute Men, I think. I so. <laughs> But uh, she comes back into the, the train station yard, and, you know, Ralph Meeker's character is kind of there, and Sorensen just kind of looks, and you, she sits down, and she seems really ashamed.
1: Yeah, definitely. The, her demeanor is totally different. You know, so so like Sorensen knows that probably something happened, and, and Sorensen actually tries to kind of comfort her. He offers her yeah. a cup of coffee and
0: asks her if she's and, okay. And uh, yeah. It kind of pisses
1: her off. Well, she she kind of she kind of calls him out, say, "Hey, I really wanted to dance with you," and he's like, "No, I don't think so." And she's like, "No, I really did." And he's like, "No, I don't mean that." I he's like, "I'm not. I don't. Want, I didn't want to dance with you, or I didn't want he's to." Like, dance. He's like, "I just
0: didn't want to
1: dance." Yeah, dance. And she's like, "Oh, you mean not with me?" And he's like, "Well, you know." He kind of beats around the bush, and she's she's like, "Yeah, you didn't want to dance with me," and so she gets upset because of his rejection and
0: yeah and it again it was another way to belittle her like self-esteem and of course jack comes in and he's <laughs> he's like pulling his pants up zipping his fly and he's like all right let's get this play. you know what i mean he's just yeah. to Jack, and he starts digging in the locker that's in there where he had found the radio and guess what else is hiding in there not only was there a deck of cards but there's porno magazines
1: yeah, and so Jack starts asking, Charlie, hey, uh, are these yours? And Charlie's like, oh, I don't know where those came from. They're not mine.
0: And he's <laughs> like, you mean you never looked at them? He goes, well, I might have peeked once.
1: Yeah, <laughs> once or twice.
0: <laughs> and this is uh, this is showing us more of the character uh, that we didn't know that Charlie was.
1: Yeah, and even Jack starts trying to pull some stories out of him. Like Jack's like, I know, Charlie, you were in the military. I'm, I'm sure you've got some, some good stories from whatever war he was in or whatever.
0: Yeah, and then uh we find out in that conversation or maybe another one that jack also did some military time
1: yeah interesting enough yeah he was a uh, former military as well and so he kind of proceeds to talk about some of his past uh adventures you know in, with the military
0: <laughs> i wonder what that does for his attitude in this movie being that he's in a kind of military slash government controlled environment knowing that he came from a similar background if that lets him know that okay this is bigger than what it is and you're definitely not telling us
1: well yeah i think this was all during the time of vietnam too so i think that there was probably some there were uh rebane was probably kind of like riffing on some of that some of that feeling of anti-war sentiment and things like that and Jack, I don't know if he was necessarily a Vietnam vet, maybe, but he was definitely like a a veteran that was, uh, oh, what do you call it? He was not disgruntled, but you know, he he was in the military for a little while and just got tired of it, tired of the bureaucracy and the and the government. And so, and like he said, kind of earlier in the movie, I came out here to get away from all the government stuff.
0: Yeah, I so think you, that puts a whole new spin on what he meant too.
1: Yeah so he's former military and so he uh yeah has kind of like a oh i don't know he just doesn't
0: andy and i neither one of us were in the military so this is kind of hard
1: yeah (laughs) but but you kind of get you kind of get the gist of what he's 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 just tired of he's kind of been there
0: done that and doesn't want anything to do with it or be reminded of it
1: yeah exactly so so you know and 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 you
0: know we're kind of getting kind of late i don't I don't know this is like the second night right i think yeah because there's the- been a couple of times where they've had stuff delivered and they've stepped outside to get air or do whatever and it's been like night day night day and so it's i think we're approaching that second day but it's still nighttime whenever we start to get one of the biggest shocks of the movie and uh, i think we're about to get there let's talk about um, how jenny handles everything
1: well, yeah, so, I mean, you know, Jenny's kind of already kind of emotionally distraught, but then uh, Charlie starts to nod off. Yep. And this is like the big...
0: This is the special effects scene. The special effects about. payoff, yeah. Dude, I'll pretty- tell you right now, I did not see this coming, because throughout this no. movie there has been no hint that there's going to be a special effects scene, and i got to say, when I'm going to let you describe it, but when this scene happened, it pretty much, see what I'm going to do here? Blew my mind. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, because nobody knows what's going to happen when you fall asleep. They just know, okay, we can't fall asleep. And so everybody's trying to stay awake. Charlie, of course, you know, he, he's kind of nodding off. And he f- does fall asleep. And and he kind of like screams, yells out. And everybody's looking at him like, "What? oh, no, what happened? And then you see the blood running out of his nose and his mouth. And you're like, oh, crap, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden the, the head starts to kind of bulge out and – uh, well, at first, I think they think he's just dead. I think Sorensen says, well, he's dead. But then his head starts to move. His head starts to kind of bulge. And and everybody starts freaking out. Like, what is happening? And then we get some really cool special effects of, like, just the head uh, kind of po- – I don't know, not really popping, but just the brain just kind of oozing out. And it almost looks like uh, this alien creature is kind of cr- crawling out of his head or something. It's not really – I don't think it's supposed to be an alien creature. But I think it's supposed to be his his brain, but it's just like oozing out and just like yeah, growing. Well, his it's
0: brain expands <laughs> and it <laughs> yeah. basically busts through his scalp, and his fucking eyeball pops out, dude.
1: Oh yeah, this is like some.
0: I was like, man, what
1: the fuck? I mean, it's some pretty decent effects, you know, for like this little
0: Andy. If they were falling asleep. They were they're awake now.
1: Exactly. Everybody and so, else at
0: train station is like, okay, I am not going to sleep. Except Jenny, and, she has other ideas.
1: Uh, and then. But then Jack kind of jumps in. Everybody else is kind of like uh, f- frozen. They don't know what to do. But Jack kind of steps in and and he just takes one of those big cabins and kind of pushes over onto Charlie, so that
0: yeah, it just kind of misery.
1: Yeah, it just kind of ends everything and just so it's over. And yeah, that's over. But then you just have the emotional f- fallout from everything that's happened now, and, and and it definitely takes a toll on Jenny, which we see in the next scene.
0: Yeah, because now that everybody has stood up and has you know surrounded uh, Ralph Meeker's character, Jenny goes and takes Doctor Sorensen's gun that was left on uh, where he was sitting, and obviously we assume we know what's about to happen, and unfortunately it does. She goes out to the car and she has this really empathetic scene where she's crying and she goes. You know, she's talking about you didn't want to dance with me. There's never, you know, there is no Tom. In fact, there's never been anyone. And then she blows her brains out. And though we don't, we do see it. It's a very, very quick shot. But more than anything, we see it happen. And then we see from outside the car when the glass shatters and there's like blood all over it. And we hear it and the characters inside hear it. And that's where, if you watch the trailer, uh, this scene is in there where... Jack screams Jenny and he runs out there and they find out she killed herself.
1: Yeah. It's really poignant. What she says, right before she does it, she says we were never in this together because I think earlier in the movie that Sorenson's like, look, we're all in this together. We don't know what's happening. I think at this point, Jenny says there was never any, we were never something to the fact, like we were never in this together. Like we were always, I was always alone in this situation Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm tired of being, I don't want to be alone anymore. That's what she says. that's
0: sad, man. And
1: it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, so.
0: She she definitely had, like I said, the character that tugged on the heart. Her and and Hank, man, this, damn, like, you're sad to see them go. And that means, you know, now that Charlie's gone, Jenny's gone, we're only left with Sorensen and Jack, which, I mean, you couldn't have put any two people against each other that would hate each other more than these two. But then they have that kind of, like, Okay, it's just us. Like, we need to survive this. And there's almost this sense of like, okay, you know, one more day. And the next day comes, and obviously they're still awake. You hear the helicopter comes, and they've dropped some supplies. And before this scene happened, there was a phone call. But we don't know what was happening because fucking Jack rips the phone cord out of the wall and throws the phone. And so when they get this package... The first thing that they think of is oh great there's a cure
1: yeah as i think uh well i think don't well we do see a phone call with like this government official guy and he says something to the effect that you just hear his side of the conversation but um he's saying like some of the fact we just need to end this like kind of thing and and he says no don't tell the scientists make you know have them keep working on the solution but they haven't really come up with a cure up to this point And so it kind of, it kind of, you kind of get the feeling that they're just wanting to kill everybody off. Oh, and he says, yeah, all the next, next to kin protocols have been uh, put in place. So all the next to kin has been notified of their deaths, like already. And and then, you know, they don't even know that anybody's even dead yet. But so that's when they, I think they do call Sorensen and say, hey, we've got a cure and we're going to send it on the next shipment. And so, that's when they're kind of so but it was already too late for jenny and charlie so that's when jack's like well their timing's a little off ain't it and yeah and so that's when that that helicopter comes in that morning and drops off that shipment they're like okay it's, it's the cure so sorenson takes it and he gives the pill to jack and and sorenson is kind of looking at the pill he doesn't really i don't think he doesn't have anything to take it with no coffee or water or whatever right but jack jack does <laughs>
0: Yeah, and how bittersweet is it, you know, they focus on the fact that there's four pills there, and obviously now they're only going to take two of them, but you just you feel that impact of losing those characters even more. Well, actually,
1: there was five because there was five oh, people. Oh, because of Hank. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like, well, they're only going to be taking two of those because uh, the other three people don't need them anymore.
0: Yep, and Jack, he, you know, he's like... He goes and he downs that pill, and he he goes to celebrate. Like, it's the first time you, you see him kind of in a positive light um, since before dancing with Jenny, literally. And he goes to shake um, Sorensen's hand. He's like, we survived. We did it. And he grabs his throat, and he falls to the floor. And uh, what is it, cyanide or something?
1: Yeah, so Sorensen's like – he looks down at the pill. He's like, cyanide. And so he so he's like oh. – so he gets really pissed off because – he realizes that they were just trying to kill them off to kind of push everything under the rug. So he just, he sweeps everything off the desk and he's just, he's just like totally at his wit's end. Like he's just so pissed off and he actually falls asleep.
0: Right. It, he, you know, he, it's later and the scene opens and we see everybody who has died on the floor and right next to Jack is Sorenseen, But Andy, he wakes up.
1: He wakes up and so he's like, "What?" He's like, "I, I slept and said so nothing, and he's still alive." And so he, he's like, "I'm not affected.
0: He didn't." Yeah, get which infected. answers the question that we asked earlier. He has not physically come into contact with anyone who had been infected. It's it's then, an amazing <laughs> feeling. It's a little too yeah. happy of a feeling. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then, and this, and and this movie gets a lot of. Uh, comparisons to night of the living dead uh-huh. especially at the ending you know yep i do um so sorensen's like hey i wasn't affected and then we hear the jeep pull up outside with some soldiers and they're all in contamination suits and uh before he can even like say anything they just like start blasting you know through the window and they they shoot him and he's dead slow motion that's, yeah so yeah, man, what a he gets,
0: he gets shot up and dies and nobody has survived the pandemic.
1: And what a bleak gut punch of an ending, you know.
0: I know, and then it's like music credits. And you're like, "Holy shit, that just happened. The movie ended just like that. No survivors." And yeah. I don't know, man, like you're you're kind of led to believe that, okay, we've lost some people, like surely these two are going to survive. You know, of all two people, that's weird, but okay, cool, these are our guys. And then when Jack dies, And I remember whenever Sorensen, like, wakes up the next day, it took me a minute to process. I'm like, holy shit, he slept. He's away. He's not infected. I got really excited. And then uh, it's such a great ending, if I'm being honest. I was like, oh, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I don't know how else it would have ended any other way, really, you know, just with the situation. I think think Urbane chose to keep it kind of more realistic, you know, like, kind of like a Oh, kind of like a not apocalyptic, but just kind of like a very bleak ending and uh
0: It so works it, with the story. It really It does. works,
1: yeah. It definitely does, yeah. So yeah, so that's Alpha Incident. I mean it's
0: is. <laughs> it's uh it's been referred to as, you know, the poor man's Andromeda Strain, but totally two different movies in a sense. They go two different directions and though out Al- you know, Andromeda Strain is a higher budget sci fi movie, this one I think definitely plays more on the paranoia aspect and um bill urbane really excels with his character direction i love this movie you love this movie i don't know if i mentioned it before but if you haven't seen this movie it is available to stream it's on freebie it's on tubi and you can find the dvd for really cheap if you find it with the shirt you should definitely get it but andy you ready to uh tell the audience the next movie we're gonna do because people might notice Hey, Dave, you didn't play the trailer at the beginning. I wanted to hear the trailer for Alpha Incident. Well, we're switching it up, man. You know, we got, you know, uh, it's a new year, you know, a new podcast episode, new intro, might I say. And now things we're going to do different is Andy and I are going to be playing the trailer at the end of the episode of the next movie we're going to cover because that way we get people excited about it. So, Andy, what is the second Bill Rubain movie that we're going to cover?
1: So, we are going to talk about his most commercially successful movie which is the giant spider invasion in a small wisconsin town something was about to happen that would send shock waves around the world the earth. It was the giant spider invasion.
0: Look at that. I'm still measuring an X-ray shower from the ground level at a magnitude never before measured on Earth except a nuclear explosion. Well doctor it could be an abortive strike from a unfriendly power oh come on you don't think a missile landed here i told you something landed here last night look it's full of them i'm very
1: concerned well frankly speaking doctor so is the united states government (laughs) determined to destroy the earth could anything stop them could anything stop the giant spider invasion there has never been a film like this before
0: yeah man the giant spider invasion you know you gotta love these 70s movies it's always a good time and uh podcasting with you is always a good time man but let's go ahead and promote you you know if people are hearing you for the first time who are you what do you do
1: yeah thanks so i'm andy i'm the host of the world of horror podcast and um i you know my podcast you know it started off with me and dave and and it's kind of just like i'm doing it you know dave's still my definitely my official co-host but he can't always do it all the time he's busy with all things dave so um i'm doing more of a solo cast on a world of horror and uh, i've been kind of going through like late last year i decided just to go through the I have one those uh, Mill Creek boxes, you know, those 15 movie packs, and they'll you know, they're just filled with like these B movies um, and kind of like drive-in type movies, and I decided I want to like focus on some of these obscure more obscure movies because I just really have a passion for these uh, little known movies. And so um, I, I did, you know, several of those, you know, kind of like leading into at the end of the year. So this year I want to kind of expand my net. I still have a passion for these obscure movies, but what I'm gonna do is I'm not gonna just limit myself to the Mill Creek box sets. I'm gonna kinda of, I'm gonna look at obscure movies from the fifties all the way up through the nineties. So like older movies but more obscure movies. That's kind of gonna be my wheelhouse from here on out. I feel like I just you know, and that's something that me and Dave both love and so when he can when he gets a chance he's gonna jump on and do a movie with me and it's those movie, those episodes are always so much fun. And uh, So yeah, I just released uh, the first episode of the new year. It's uh, it's Roger Corman's Munchies from 1987. It's his uh, riff on the Gremlins movies, the yes. Gremlins type movies like Critters, Gremlins, mm-hmm. Ghoulies, all those kind of little creature movies. This is his uh, attempt at that and it, it's pretty entertaining. So definitely check out the episode to see what I have to say about it.
0: Awesome, man. Uh, I did listen to the episode, and you got me wanting to watch Munchies. You know, maybe I'll have the Munchies <laughs> when I watch it. You never know. But that's cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on here and talking Alpha Incident, and I will talk to you again when we cover the giant spider invasion.
1: Yeah, for sure, man.
0: there you have it. The Alpha Incident from 1978. What'd you guys think? Man, I had a lot of fun bringing Andy on here and being able to talk about this movie in depth uh, for the first time. It's a real cool movie. I mean, if that slow burn sci-fi is your cup of tea, you should definitely check it out. And, uh, you know, if you enjoyed uh, the kind of banter and the conversations that Andy and I've had, check out some past episodes. You know, Andy's come on here, and we've done some pretty cool mainstream horror movies. This might be one of the first times where we did kind of an unknown movie, but um, check out Andy's podcast. You know, he did the World of Horror, he does the World of Horror podcast, and I've been on there together. We covered Deep Red, you know, from Dario Argento, and we covered The Driller Killer, and soon we're going to do Spider Baby, which is really fucking cool. And so... So you know, check out his podcast. Show him some love. Uh, If you do iTunes, give him a five star. I know we'd love to get those those numbers up on both of our shows. And so if you like this show, you know Spotify, iTunes, whatever you do, just give me a you know thumbs up, a like, you know a five star. If you want to write something, I would love to read it. I check that stuff um, just to show to see the love. It's it's really cool. But yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the new intro. It's short but sweet. I love it. Andy made it. He's a badass like that. If you're ever in the mood for uh, getting a, your podcast going, but you're just not sure about that intro, you might hit up Andy. I know he exists on the social media platforms. He's you know a Black Cat Podcast. You know that's the old podcast that he and I used to do together as well. But he kept the title, so you can find him on uh, different apps. But if not, then just stay tuned because there's you know plenty of good stuff around the corner and I know it took me about a month to get another episode out but the next one is right around the corner so I'll let that be that. You guys have a wonderful day and thank you for listening to the All Things Dave podcast.